lot of our guests lately, there's some type of affiliation or someone knows someone through someone else. I mean, we're in a huge industry, mm. but all the good people know the good people, I feel like. So I'm um, bringing in my friend Kara Lazowskis. Ooh, is that a little Ooh, thank you. Don has this tendency to... <laughs> to, to kind of lean, lean away. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. There's so many different mics. Yeah, I mean, I, you're never used to the mics. Have you got mics hanging from the ceiling? <laughs> Crap breaking everywhere. So um, I was introduced to Kara from Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who was one of our guests recently. Um, Kara, I like to refer to Kara as when you have all these coaches out there or all these doctors talking about the research... Who's doing the research? That's Kara. She's doing, she's doing the research. So she's biopsied her body seven times? Six. Six times. I keep getting that word. But she's actually muscle biopsied herself six times, which is a huge pain in the you-know-what. And I want you to talk about it later on. But can we, can we back up for a second? Can we go into your education? Can we go into you know, filling everyone in on, on, on how you got into this, your, your schooling, et cetera? Yeah. So Don and Zach, the kind of the biggest take home is I grew up in a family that, I mean, my dad was an all-American wrestler. Grew up with a gym in my basement, wrestling mats in my basement. So it was always, you know, a culture of you do well in school, you play sports, you go hard or you go home type of environment. I mean, Central New Jersey is definitely one of those states where it's like, come on, like you need to play sports, you need to be the jock, you need to do well in school, you know, do the thing. And that was always kind of, you know, the stage growing up throughout my life. And then Moving forward, I always had kind of the option. I could have played full scholarship soccer or basketball. I decided that, you know what, soccer's too easy. <laughs> I felt like I didn't have to practice. I can just go on the field and do well. But for basketball being so short, I was like, no. Like, I have to actually work my butt off. I have to train eight hours a day. I have to be for school, after school. I want to do this, you know, full time. I want to play in college. I want to play overseas. I had dreams to play professionally. So I went full force into soccer, basketball. After... Then in college, I went through a little track of four ACL surgeries, ended up actually getting a fifth knee surgery. So four ACL surgeries. The first one was going into my senior year of high school, came back within four months because I said, we're doing this. I don't care. I'm taking these full rides. I'm playing Division One basketball. I was so headstrong about that. I was like, no, like this is what we're doing. This is your life. Then second one, third one, fourth one. Now we're having the conversation of maybe this isn't the career path for you. Maybe you shouldn't be playing basketball anymore, which hit quite hard. Now, I originally was going to school for my exercise physiology degree. I had to take two years off, and within those two years, I had to find out what is Kara, who is Kara, outside of sport. I, I didn't know, and I had to do some soul searching, one thing led to another. What, what, I, what was that soul searching? Like, do you mind if I like? What, what, what oh. was that experience like, and what was that process? <laughs> yeah, so that process was... As per my nature, I'm definitely, you know, I say to everyone, uh, I'm an all or nothing person, and I took it, the hit very hard. And I am where I am today because of my traumatic experiences that I placed upon myself that I think benefited me in the long run. So I ended up dealing, or not even dealing, but putting myself through, for the betterment, I think, of myself now, uh, dealing with bulimia and anorexia. So I got all the way down to 95 pounds. I went to a state of, just, I could not separate who Kara was outside of sport. I had no idea. I was in a mental state of, you know, I would like to say psychosis of there was no separation between who Kara was in basketball and who Kara is outside of, of basketball, the game itself. And I couldn't figure out what life was and who I actually was, what my identity was, because it was a place in basketball. So I call basketball still in, in my life, or really sport in general to any athlete, that it's the band-aid to what's really going on especially if someone's going through things, is take the Band-Aid off. Take that wound off. Let it heal. You need to figure out who you are because eventually sport will end. Well, my sport ended earlier than I expected, and I didn't know how to deal. So I was hospitalized, started to recover. And as I say to a lot of athletes, is if you look back on that time and you look back on those moments and you still get a sensation or you still get depressed or you still have kind of a reaction or you sweat a little bit, you're not recovered. It, when I look on those moments and I look back on those two years of healing and, and self-preservation and kind of figuring out, you know, who I was outside of just basketball, I don't, it's like reading a book, like someone else's story. It's reading someone else's biography. So you just feel like you were a different, completely different person. It doesn't even, it doesn't even feel like you. No, like even talking about now and, you know, I've talked about it, you know, numerous times before, I feel like I'm not talking about myself. Like I'm talking about someone else's story. And that's when you know you're in full recovery. And that's when, you know, I'm very 
truth over harmony, you know, I'm always going to give you the truth and the place of integrity that I've met so many athletes that they tell that story. They have a similar story mentally, physically, emotionally, and they get mad or they get depressed or then they have a bad game or they have a bad, you know, whatever, you know, their path is now. And I'm like, you're not recovered. You're not recovered. You need to maybe get away from the space and take the time to figure out who you really are. And what actually makes you tick? What burns a fire in you? How long uh, until you felt comfortable talking about that? I would say, so 2011 is when I was actually hospitalized. It took a good two, three years to not be in full recovery. I didn't start actually speaking upon it and you know telling my story until 2015, 16. And that all started with coming back to an organization called Point Guard College, where you know, I was always a big part of my life as an athlete, you know, in the game of basketball. And then, lo and behold, I was out in Chicago coaching uh, for Nike. You know, I started coaching basketball, kind of getting my feet wet again, finding my love again for the sport. And one of my old directors was recruiting for Iowa State, one of my athletes, and saw me. We had one of those moments, and she was like, why are you, like, directing, assistant directing on staff with PGC? And I was like, uh... I was just trying to figure out, like, because no one knew where I was for, like, two, three years. I kind of vanished, like, off the face of the planet. And it was just one of those moments where, like, no, I need to get back to, like, the mental and physical aspect of this game because I was missing something at that point. And that really helped me start to talk about it because a big part of that organization, and we have classroom sessions as well, and we tell our stories. So I started telling my stories to 100, 120 athletes at a time. And at first, I would have a little bit of reaction. And then after the second, third, fourth, maybe fifth or sixth time, all of a sudden I realized, wait, everything else in my life is going really well. And it seemed to correlate with, as I was telling my story more, I wasn't having these sensations or reactions or... You just felt more comfortable as you were, as you were kind of letting it out. And it, yeah, and it led, in, it led into everything and every other aspect of my life. Like, everything else got better. I started to find you know, how much I love strength and conditioning. You know, for selfish reasons, I was actually trying to figure out why was I getting hurt where all my friends were playing overseas and living out the dream I wanted so bad. You know, as the great motivational speaker, Eric uh, Thomas, Thomas, Eric, the hip-hop preacher, always speaks upon, you know, want as bad as you want to breathe. Like, I was fully invested in that. <laughs> and that changed the course of action of trying to figure out, you know what, Actually, I think my calling is in health. My calling is in not allowing the same experiences to happen to other athletes, to other humans, and using this experience to change the dynamic of what's going on in this industry. So you became a motivator. Yep. So you used your misfortune at what, what seemed like a misfortune at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like that line I stole from someone. I don't know who it was. It's not mine. But for every time in life you feel like you're being rejected, you're really being redirected to something else. Yep. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that. Um, but you became this motivator. But then suddenly, I mean, you became somewhat of an educator mm-hmm. at that point. Not from a motivation standpoint, but in a way, um, the scientific piece to your whole puzzle even having a lot of conversations with you, you know, in the last year, you're someone that, you know, wants to know why, how. It's not just good enough to say, oh, well, this, here's this product and this work. Well, you're like, no, why? Why is the muscle doing what it's doing? How did you kind of venture off into that now? Yeah, it actually, as I say, I started studying a lot. And I started, and I had a lot of bad mentors in the beginning. Before I met Gabrielle, before I met Mike Dango, James Smith, Buddy Morris, all these, you know, yourself, Included and you know I I was always told before I had those mentors you know quote unquote mentors maybe ten you know six seven years ago you don't need ma- you don't need a master's you don't need continuing education you can learn on your own you don't need that you just need to work you don't you know schools you don't need school you don't need that debt you don't need this I was told constantly so I believed it you know these are people I looked up to and they're telling me I don't need to do research I don't need to like why go through schooling you got your undergraduate degree in ex-phys you don't need to get a master's and then it was one February night and me and Gabrielle had gotten to that place where you know we were pretty connected and you know we challenged each other and she had said to me you need to go get your master's. Like, you can't just be a strength and conditioning coach your whole life in one facility in Dover, New Jersey, just working with high school, maybe some college athletes. Like, you're, I know you're better than that. And I had said, challenged her back, and I said, well, what? Like, I was always told, 
a master's in strength conditioning, like you can do that in the gym. You don't need to go spend all this money to get a master's. And then she mentioned Dr. Andy Galpin and showed up his, you know, his social medias and what he's doing in muscle biopsies and looking at, you know, what's going on molecularly in human muscle during exercise and biopsies. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, I thought you needed an MD license. Like you need to have all these PhDs to be able to do that type of research. And I was sold off the get go. I was like, okay, well, what everyone was telling me was definitely biased. And this is what we're doing. And I applied right away after the deadline, definitely after the deadline. Uh, and they only pick one to two graduate students a year to be part of his program. And it's the only place in the country you can do that type of research as a master's student. Otherwise, you do need a PhD or an MD license to be able to do and be a part of a muscle biopsy procedure. And I got in and f moved out. You know, within, I think, three months, I was out in California. Come August, I was starting the program. I was already in the lab and, you know, doing, doing the darn thing. You know, it's funny because, you know, her past mentors, and I'm not bashing them at all, but specific people, listen, I've given bad advice in the past, as you have, and, you know, we've all taken it also. But, you know, um, the advice to not go and to continue your education, if you're truly in love with something, if you're passionate about it and you want to learn much as possible, in my opinion, it's worth the investment. It's worth going in there and actually fully committing to something. That's my opinion. Now, does everyone need it? Do I wish I had a master's degree? Sure, it would have been great, but I had a decision. I actually started working on one when I graduated, and then I basically had the decision. I actually went off, started taking classes, and I had the decision. I got funded to do my dream or continue and get my master's degree, and it was one or the other. And I, it was like, it almost reminded me of the decision a college basketball player would make. Mm -hmm. You got, we want to draft you now, or you're going to sit here and you're going to live out your next two years. And I said, wait a second, this might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for exactly. me. It's a lot of money, I'm going to jump on it. And I could never have done both at the same time. Right. right? I, I couldn't even do it now. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I, I'm, I'm obviously very happy, and I'm sure you're ecstatic that you went and you took Gabrielle's advice. Oh, yeah, if I, and I say this to Gabrielle all the time, you know, we just spoke earlier. If I didn't complete Seal Fitz Kokoro back in 2015 and go through that process, which Mark Devine's another one of my mentors, if I didn't go through that and find out a big piece of my why, I would have never met Gabrielle. If I would have never met Gabrielle, I would have never gone and got my master's, moved out to California and taken that risk. I would have never been on the Titan. I, you know, I would have never done all of these things. And now, I mean, I'm sitting here because of that one catalyst. And everyone has that catalyst and that decision. It's gonna take you on one road or the other. And I tell, you know. Well, I tell, it all started from that two years <laughs> yeah. of soul searching. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, if you oh, didn't yeah. go through that misfortune at the time, oh, yeah. which, you know, you never wish on anyone, but if you didn't go through that, in a way, you gotta say that you're happy you went through it in a very sick way. Oh, yeah. gotta, in a know. very, and I'm, you know, I like to joke around, like, I get called crazy maybe two, three times a day. <laughs> and I take it as, I take it as a compliment. So yeah, I mean, I take it now back you know, 2011, even, you know, growing up, you know, I've had short hair since I was five. I used to take, you know, the tomboy, that's, I used to always take it as, you know, a diss or, you know, someone making fun of me. And now I'm like, no, these are, like, I take them all as compliments. It was just, it's a mindset shift. And once that click happens, even psychology tries to explain it and they can, it's the best way is just once that mindset shifts and once that clicks, the catalyst happens, everything starts. It's amazing the mind and it's amazing when you go off to even some type of team building event or a lecture on self-improvement and every time i go take something or you read a book or you know it's probably why i'm pretty you know, i'm also pretty religious and everyone mm -hmm. to each his own but um anytime i walk out of church mm -hmm. things just i don't want to say normalize but things just feel on the up and up and the more you surround yourself with good people and a positive outlook, better things start happening. It's not magic. I just, I truly believe that the mind controls, you know. It's crazy. It's like yeah. this mysterious power that just starts making things happen. <laughs> yeah, you know no, what I'm talking about? Like, I, I mean, I left weird. a course, I, I left a course once. Um, it, was, it was, God, it was a Tony Robbins event. Yeah. It was the first thing I ever probably went off to. This was, I can't tell you how long ago it was. And I remember for two weeks, like nothing went wrong. <laughs> it was literally like everything was happening. Like everything How much did that course cost? Oh, God, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm curious. And like, he had like 9,000 people. I mean, he's, he's racking it in. Right? <laughs> he charges 
a pretty a, penny. A pretty yeah. penny. But I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm glad I did it. It was an experience. Whether people want to bash it or they want to say it was great. I just was curious was how great, much it cost. Keep bashing it, man. What I didn't bash it. it. I, I didn't bash it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell people all the time, like, in my life, at least, it's been... <laughs> <in> my, <laughs> he wants to say something. Zach wants to say something. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, no, I would never bash Shut it. up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's people right now after that, man. I don't know about what, but there's some, oh, yeah, no. there's some going on. But, some stuff going on, yeah. Yeah, but people, the universe, whatever you want to call it, religion, God, universe, you're going to keep getting a challenge. It might start out small, and if you don't learn a lesson, it'll get a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger, and then maybe it might be a full-blown you know, experience like mine was dealing with you know, anorexia, bulimia, all that, all that jazz. If you don't learn the lesson, the challenge is going to keep getting bigger and bigger. The universe is giving you, again, whoever is giving you those challenges, starting small all the way until the biggest challenge, until you figure out the lesson they're trying to teach you or it's trying to teach you. And until you learn the lesson, you're going to keep getting the challenge and it's probably going to keep getting bigger until you figure out why this keeps occurring in your life. Yeah, but you have to be willing to to search for it, right? Exactly. And like you have to be in that spot. Like you hit that spot where you really wanted to make a change. And, I, you know, it's, it's tough for people who may be kind of hovering, like they haven't hit that bottom, but yet they're still kind of just floating through. Kind of like almost, and I don't want to put words in, 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 in Dr. Lyon's mouth, but like when she said, like, you can do more than what you're doing, like in, in just being a, a, a trainer in Dover. And not that that's a terrible thing, but she knew you were built for more. Like the people that aren't there yet, but that may feel like, how can they discover that? And so how can they start to go on this, this journey? I wonder, like, you know, how do you get to, to this feeling of like, I know I can do more. I think I can do more to like, you're doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to do more. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, everyone wants to put, you know, a bow tie on it and make it sexy or give you all these magic pills and potions or this trip, that trip, but you need to start physically doing, mentally, physically putting yourself through some type of suck or changing your job. Maybe it's changing your job career. Maybe it's, I want to try this weekend. I'm going to go out during this experience. I'm going to try a kettlebell workshop, or maybe this time I'm going to go do a strongman, you know, go to a strongman gym. You know, I've never done a, gone to a strong gym. Well, that's fine. Go try it. Maybe you find out you like it better than the bodybuilding routine you're doing. And that's your new thing. And now you're happier, but you got to Put yourself in different, you know, varieties. Put yourself in different spaces to find out what that is. You got to actually do things. Put yourself into things. Experience it. Get yeah, yourself out there. It. One foot in front. Like just do it, as you yeah. say. Um, I do want to talk about what what it is you do now. I think it's uh, crazy interesting. But you've done MMA fighting, correct? Correct. Powerlifting, CrossFit. Uh, you mentioned before the Titan Games. So how did what is there like a way you prefer to train now? Or are you kind of like you know, I know Don is somebody who like jumps around, like uh, and does a whole bunch of stuff. Um, is that kind of what you you do as well? That's definitely the space I'm in now. I, hundred percent, not a hundred percent. Nothing's ever absolute. There's nothing absolute in this world. Go towards weightlifting and powerlifting, and the, more of those sides because I just I love a heavy barbell in my hand, and because my makeup is more towards that slow twitch, you know, that type one, you know, fiber type, and again, with enough biopsies, you start to figure out where you lean towards. Uh, that's always been a weakness of mine, and I don't like weaknesses. Uh, I found out that when I train a heavy barbell, everything else tends to get better because I'm naturally, I can go run, you know, half marathon or a marathon, and my muscles are fine, my body's fine, I don't have to well, maybe when I'm 80, I'm going to have to train for it, but I don't have to train for it right now. So for me, strength, you know, purely strength training, powerlifting, strongman stuff. I mean, there's something about having a heavy atlas stone in your hands that just makes you feel like, you know, you have the whole world and yeah. powerful. It's a great feeling. I've only had an atlas stone, never a heavy one. Uh, I would never hold the heavy one. I I, I could never. Suck it up, I, man. I can't. I, I'm just, that's just not for me. Like she's saying that, that that's for her. Like that's not for me. I like to watch it. I like to watch people move heavy stuff around. I think that's really cool. But I watch it and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm built for that. Like just mentally, like physically, I don't know if I could dive in like that. So it's always cool to watch people that that can. I could, could you you could you could you could do that. You could do strongman or powerlifting. Like that's something you. I could. Do. I mean, I definitely have more experience with powerlifting. I mean, it, it, that's definitely. Well, yeah. And even to this day now, I mean, I, I like picking up heavy stuff. I, but on the other hand, like I like being able to move. Yeah. I, I like being <laughs> able to go out and run, you know, really fast and for a long period of time. It, it, it's just. You know, and I always say this with with my style of training, 
I, I, I may never become world class in anything, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty good at everything. You exactly. know what I'm saying? And, and that's what I'm even finding out with the people that we're working with. That's what they want. Like, I was always like early on with strength and conditioning, it was always like, keep the goal, the goal, keep the goal, the mm -hmm. goal. And I'm, I would go to, I've worked with thousands of clients in my life. Every time I ask them for their goal, I mean, 1% of them would say, like, know what their goal is. 99% yeah. of them would really turn around and go, I don't know, I want to look better naked, I want to be able to run, I want to be able to, <laughs> exactly. you know, I want to be able to, you know, have better sex and do all this stuff. And then you're sitting there listening and like, okay, you want everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of why people make fun. But like that whole, that whole superhero shtick, in a way, you know, when you're training someone for the movie screen to be a superhero, that's what a superhero is. I don't think is. it's a shtick. I believe it in works. you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, well, it's the same you way I like MMA, that. you know. Uh, I'm a, little, are, I'm a little crazy in that sense. Like, there's something about punching someone in the face legally, <laughs> legally. You could punch that. Yeah. No, <laughs> and someone coming at you that just it fills the same need for me in a conditioning sense because it's not you know having a heavy barbell in your hand. And that was so. You know, I just love it. And I, I would leave behind Don in a moment. Like, there's no way I'd be I would be foolish enough to put myself in front of your fist. Yeah, let's do a front choke. I saw. Okay, I have. You got the collar on. It's perfect. So, <laughs> oh, That's why I didn't wear a collar. See, actually, yeah, I should have worn a tank top. So, um, I saw. So, I, I looked it up, and I, I don't know if I have this right, but on, on SureDog, you you're one and zero with a um, with a TKO. Did you stop uh, doing MMA for a re like? Was there something a reason you stopped? Grad doing school it? was the main reason. Being twelve plus hours in a lab, I actually. So that's a that website's a little bit funky, but I'm actually three and one. That, that was yeah. my question. Was, is yeah. that correct? Because yeah, we three didn't and know. one. I actually my last fight, I took it on at 155. So I actually had to gain 10 pounds at a, for the California state title because my teammate dropped out, and my coach was like, "Hey, you know what? It's amateur. It's all scrimmages anyway. Let's just see." So of course I'm going to say yes. I love competing. I you know I said yes to a CrossFit competition five days ago. For what reason? I just like competing. I just love, I love the arena environment. I love. I'm actually calm. I'm very calm in high pressure situations where, you know, which is why I'm always told I should be in the military. But that's a whole different story. Hashtag uh, one lung. That kind of makes it a little difficult to be part of a government body. Uh, and that that you bring you brought that up, and I, I wanted to to bring it up as well. So. Was it at um, was it age three? Yeah, was removed. And wh what was what was going on? Like I know it was like uh, you were having an issue, but I don't I don't really know all the facts. So I wanted to ask you what that was. Yeah. So what happened? Uh, Zach was for two months out of dry cough, and my mom kept taking me back and forth to the doctor. And as per some MDs do, because they're just trained kind of one way, not all of them can be, you know, Dr. Line, not all of them can be Gabriel. Uh, they just kept saying, oh, it's just bronchitis, drop cough, it will go away. Well, after two months, they said, oh, let's do an x-ray. And they're like, they paused, and okay, she's got a huge tumor all over her left lung covering, pretty much engulfing the whole lung, emergency surgery, it's cancer, you know, death, all that, freaking, you know, my parents out. They took the lung right out, they biopsied it, ironically, <laughs> and found out, oh my God, it's not cancer, but it grew like cancer, we don't know what to call this. So it was actually a case study for a while uh, for a post-inflammatory pseudotumor, which basically means uh, cancer, but not cancer. Like, we thought it was cancer, it did everything like cancer, but it was benign, so she's A-OK. -okay. I was very fortunate, I was so young and that my body didn't know the difference. It developed just like any other human growing up, you know, just everything just shifted. My heart's two pounds bigger than a normal athlete's heart and my right lung is one and a half times the size of a normal right lung. So everything shifted. We keep mentioning biopsying. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't mean to jump around, but I wanna, I wanna get into this a little mm -hmm. bit because the reasoning for you wanting to biopsy yourself mm -hmm. is to, really truly understand what the hell it is is going on with, with the human body. So yep. when someone out there is saying the research, the research, the research, you know, I'm with Brandon Marcello over the weekend who works for the military and we're, you know, we're discussing how a lot of the research out there is false or the research that might be true now is going to be false in a few years. And it's mm -hmm. like people, th they, they use that, that term so loosely. Mm -hmm. The research says, the research, research says, how did you dive into that? 
what did you really find out mm -hmm. about yourself and about the human body? And also, like, can you start with just what is it and like, yeah. you know, what is it? The, what is the process too? I think that a lot of people would benefit from understanding. Yeah. It. So a muscle biopsy, it's uh, quite the needle. But you know, no need to be scared because even though it's a, uh, you know, how big's the needle? It's about, about the yeah, yeah. plunger, yeah. plunger, and no. all that. It's over. Uh, but it only goes in, you know, a quarter of an inch deep. It doesn't go in very far. I mean, my scars are very little, if barely. Yeah, you know. yeah, we you can see them a little bit. And you're removing tissue, right? Yep, removing about a eraser a size. So it's a very small amount of tissue that we need. And within that eraser size of muscle, there's thousands of individual muscle fibers. So a lot of times people think, oh, that's so teeny, you probably don't get a lot of that, you know, a lot out of that. But we forget how condensed our muscle tissue actually is. And within that small eraser size amount of muscle, there's thousands of individual muscle fibers, single fiber types. And then we go through a whole three-day process of analyzing. So it's quite, we're one of the only labs in the country that does single fiber type analysis. And which lab is this? And this is Cal State University Fullerton. So... The only process that I am not actually doing is putting the needle into the vastus lateralis or the outside of the leg. So typically, most research, we do the outside leg because it's least amount of risk and we are working with athletes. There has been a lot of speculation of, oh, let's try swimmers and let's look at the shoulder. Let's, there's so many nerves and veins and to do that on the athlete, the risk versus it's reward. It's dangerous. It'd be quite dangerous. And they have, we have done studies on, you know, the gastroc and soleus, and even that's got a little bit more of a risk than, you know, the VL or the outside of the leg. So once we actually harvest the muscle tissue itself, which is done, the actual harvesting of putting the needle into the leg is done by Dr. Andy Galpin. He, even himself getting Cal State University, you know, even though he was a PhD in that, it was quite of, you know, a talking to to make sure the university would allow him to even perform it himself, even though that was his PhD. So even in California, it's hard to get someone to have the allowance to perform muscle biopsies. How much does a biopsy run? So we did a whole cost on Excel sheet, and it's it's a good. I'm not good. sure if you can answer that or not. No, I can answer that. That's okay. easy. Yeah, because oh. we actually want to start charging people. That'd yeah. be the ultimate goal. It, it could be upwards if we're gonna do. You know, part of my research was also doing molecular analysis on proteins, kinases, uh, which is the Greek word to move, uh, with a very expensive 50 grand machine, which is called CNIA data, uh, which is where we just run these proteins through. It's the 2019 version of Western blotting, which anyone who's done med school will know, like, that is a pain in the butt. So it really saved me a lot of time to be able to just put a cartridge in and then come back three hours later and, oh my God, look, we can see all the numbers and the levels and, and all the different, you know, fiber types. So just the biopsy itself running all through the, what we call SDS page and the single fiber isolation could be any, you know, $500 estimate, but it could be all the way to $800 a grand. You know, if we do the molecular stuff as well, it could be above a grand just to run one single fiber type analysis. Can you explain now, like, what is that, what did that give you? What did that tell you exactly? I mean, you biopsied six different areas of the body, and what did you find out? I find out, uh, generally speaking, because everything has ranges, and your fiber type can change within 30 days. Uh, your fiber types can definitely shift. We know that, you know, to be very true now. In astronauts, in 10 days, it completely shifts when they're up in space, which is nuts. Uh, but 30 days for us, I'm 58% give or take a couple percentages, type one, so that's slow twitch. Um, the other percentage, 2A, so fast twitch, so 47%, and then five less than 5% on one 2A, which in female, the few female Olympic track and field athletes we biopsied, they had that same percentages, similar percentages with the one 2A, uh, that hybrid fiber type, 2A, fast twitch, and then the slow uh, type one. And then molecularly, what we found, which I would love to go into very deep, but we publish in a month, okay. so I would love to say a lot more than just no, 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 the no, male-female differences are quite interesting, and I cannot wait till August when it's finally published and I can release it to the world, uh, which we've been working on the manuscripts for. With that being said, to unpack that a little bit further, the f my our study that we completed, you know, in my thesis, uh, including this manuscript was the first ever study done on the male and female athlete 
looking at not only these proteins, but the fiber-type-specific proteins, what happens during HIIT exercise, and at a time course. So to tie that back, we did four biopsies on each subject, myself included. So I was a subject to my own study because, I mean, come on, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, why not, of course. Yeah, so seeing the male and female differences, uh, it's going to be a real game-changer and really novel for people to see. Like, this is why we need to look at females just as much as males because up until a few years ago, there was no research or muscle biopsies on female athletes at all in HIT or strength and power sports. And now we've looked at the USA, you know, Olympic team members, male and female. We've now looked at hit trained male and female athletes. You know, the next phase is now to look at resistance trained male and female athletes. Can you can you do me a favor right now? I want you to categorize. I mean, high intensity interval training, hit training, but there's a big misconception of what it actually. I think people are categorizing them like, oh, I I do hit. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go look at what they're doing, and I'm like, "This isn't hit. Like, you <laughs> yeah. can't do hit on a five to one, you know, work to rest yeah. ratio. You yeah. you can't just put out that much uh, that amount of power." I, I think our viewers would be very interested if we started with some stuff that might seem very basic for mm-hmm. you. But do you think you can kind of go through oh, some yeah. information on that? Oh yeah, of course. So hit training, as it's defined, is high intensity interval training. So interval meaning you need to have a work to rest ratio that could be anywhere from two minutes, but it needs to be a short rest window. So for our study, where we had them on the bike, when they were doing their max rounds, and people forget about this, in HIIT training, when you're in your work round, when you're in that high intensity round, it needs to be max effort. And if it's not max effort, that's not high intensity. It's not interval training. If you're just cruising through that, and for our study, we had them on a minute and a half work, two and a half minutes rest. So they had a much longer rest, and we derived these methods from a lab in Denmark who did a similar study with hit on the bike. And the two-and-a-half-minute rest was definitely needed because if you're actually maxing out for a minute and a half, that two-and-a-half minutes in terms of on the bike was much needed. Now, when it comes to doing a circuit training or hit in the gym, you may want shorter rest to work, or work to rest intervals, excuse me. Right, so, but do you categorize that as hit? Do you categorize categorize someone doing interval training? Um, they they might be doing ten reps or thirty seconds, and then just taking the amount of time needed to move to the next movement. Are you categorizing that as hit? No, that's circuit training. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I just wanted yeah. to, you know, to <laughs> circuit training. Please yeah. answer that one. <laughs> you got a little nervous there. Like, I hope she doesn't say something that's like totally off key. Thank you. It's circuit training. What you said is important because I think a lot of people just think that when their heart rate's elevated, just even a little bit, they consider that high intensity interval training just as long as they take a break. But it's you're saying you've got to you've got to go to the you've got to go balls to the wall, get this thing. You should be almost feeling like, say, I'm go, I'm doing now now not sprints because if you're doing true sprints, you're not going to be able to full on sprint unless you're an Olympic athlete for 800 meters. There's going to be a, a turning point where it's not exactly a full sprint. It's not 100 percent because a sprint in theory is 100 percent. So if you're doing true hit, you're at that about 85, 90, 95% window, and you're going to the point of full exhaustion. Now, if you're taking a rest that is so long that you can now like walk around and talk to me, well, that's not exactly hit. You should be just recovered enough that when I go back to the next round, I could still push the limit, but I'm not going to completely gas out where I can't get to the next round. Which is always going to change on individual. Exactly. We, we, we see how good of a, a, in shape an athlete is by their recovery time, right? I remember uh, they, they used to talk about Wayne Gretzky, and I don't know if this is true, but his, abil- his ability to come off the ice, and they'd say within like 10 seconds, he yep. just had that ability to be able to kind of get back out there if he had to. What do you find, though, is your favorite form of HIIT training for yourself personally? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. For myself personally, I really love doing minute on, minute off. Yeah. And it sounds very simple. People are like, oh, God, game changer. Something I haven't heard in every single format. But it's very simplistic. You can get to a lot of different movements. You can push the limit. And for me, especially how I was in basketball, I never needed long to recover. I didn't need you know, the one minute to 90 seconds. I always need, I didn't really need that much time. So for me, I like having the shorter. And they say, you know, as the research entails, for athletic performance, hit training for athletes, it should be minute on, minute off. For general clientele, people are just getting back in the gym, probably don't want to do that short of a rest, give them that 90 seconds, 
maybe two minutes so that they can really go that you know 90 95 percent in that minute round and in your opinion it's whatever you can maintain max effort with so sometimes i think a safe decision might be like the air bike exactly or, 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 or you know, i mean running someone to go out and run a minute on minute off that's going to be a, a, when I say much more demanding, I don't mean from a heart rate standpoint, but like your body has to be that much more conditioned overall to be able to withstand that pounding, et cetera. I mean, is it, what are the modalities that you end up using when you want to test? Yeah, my biggest modalities are anything from it. Again, depends on the individual, but I love the body weight. I love the basics of the body weight exercise. Yeah, aerodynes will be utilized as well, but it's funny how many people say they can do even the basics of a push-up that once you put them through just push-ups, squats, lunges, oh, yeah, just and then all of a sudden, when that fatigue kicks in, kicks oh, yeah. in. No, it, it kicks your ass. Pull-ups. They can't do one single rep with proper technique whatsoever, and that's when you can start. Okay, let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. How do we break down a push-up? How do we break down these mechanics that we thought we knew because well, we've done them our whole life. I uh, can't tell me, you know, coming from a wrestling, you know, family of wrestlers. How many wrestlers or MMA athletes, even teammates of mine, that cannot do a single push-up correct even without fatigue, let alone they're doing all these quote-unquote hit training that's really just circuits. They're going from push-ups to kettlebell swings to, oh, I'm going to do some lunges with a dumbbell and then I'm going to push the sled. And it's really just circuit training because they're just going, going, going and not taking any break. So really, they're just going at like 70 75% the whole time. They're not really pushing a limit. They're just doing movement. And I also feel there's an acceptable level of quality. You know, and you'll hear a lot of these, and not to, I'm not bashing CrossFit here, but you'll, you'll, I've walked into plenty of CrossFit gyms, and you'll see a pull-up at one gym opposed to a pull-up at the other gym, and I'm like, that's tactical. He's going, you know, chin to throat, or, or I'm sorry, a throat to bar, or chin to bar, or whatever that standard is, and then this other person isn't even hitting their forehead, and they're saying that's acceptable. So I feel, I mean, is this a problem? You know, in my world, it is right, yeah. <laughs> because this is something like yeah. this. There, I think there should be a standard, but yeah. I think a lot of the standards, especially with these group training classes, when they're trying to sell it as hit training, they're not. They can't be. You can't have someone who's sitting at a desk ten hours a day, who's deconditioned to begin with, mm. come in and, and and run those work to rest ratios, and even imagine that they're doing a hundred percent. You know what max effort is. Mm. We know what max effort is. It's hard. Oh, yeah. Like, this is like, oh, my God, am I going to live type of feeling. Yeah. And I challenge you to actually put themselves through that. Yeah. You should almost feel like you're about to throw up and then the time stops. Yeah. So the one minute on, <laughs> so the one, minute on one, the one minute on, one minute off, different protocols for, say, you know, you would assign a different protocol for a physique competitor, an athlete, mm-hmm. someone trying to get as lean as possible, whatever yeah. it might be. Is there a, are you at, like, a minimum? Are, what is your range depending on the individual? Yeah, so... You know, as one good thing that Dr. Tabata did was creating those Tabata the 2010 because for general clientele, they can conceptualize that and it gives them some competence, which we know if they start to gain some competence, they're going to be confident enough to get to more aggressive intervals. So I'll always start someone with, let's just see where they're at with a 20 and 10. Can they even sustain an effort for 20 seconds with that short rest? Now, I might just cut it at a minute. I might see the first three rounds and say, you know, we're going 20. And you're getting a 30 second rest. Was it eight rounds or seven rounds? I keep forgetting. It's eight. It's eight, eight rounds. Eight rounds. Yeah. That's the most simplistic version. But most people, you'll see after the first minute, and you just gotta have that awareness as a, a coach or a trainer to know that to cut it and to change the modality. Especially if you're seeing someone the first time, you're trying to see how they operate and their body language and their movement patterns and mechanics. Where's their technique at? You know, because technique follows tension. If they want, especially aesthetics. They need to have some form of technique to create the muscular tension they need or mechanical tension they need to induce hypertrophy. So if they don't have technique, well, cut it right there. And you need to make the rest in that much longer, make the work that much more efficient for them so that they get the desired results. So you might have to cut it right away. And you know what? We need to start going to longer interval or longer rest periods so that you can effectively push in within that work ratio. It's funny because some people wouldn't consider Tabata hit training right like so they wouldn't like I, i've spoken to plenty of uh strength coaches like no, no no that's not hip training you're not able to recover enough you're not mm-hmm. able to put max effort in for say eight rounds mm-hmm. tabata 20 on 10 off for eight rounds right. so you know so you're basically just saying so what, as hard minutes, as you can possibly four minutes ends up being yeah it's minutes. not a lot. i normally consider for my myself and a lot of the athletes and clients i work at i will use tabata more as an assessment than as uh something i use with them as hit for me, it's a good assessment to see, okay, 
where are they even at with 20 seconds? Forget about the rest part. Where are they even at with 20 seconds? Within that 10 seconds, are they just uh, really another 20 seconds already? Or are they like, no, let's go? Because then you start to figure out their their approach, too. And approach is a huge thing when you're dealing you – know, clients, you know, celebrities, professional athletes. I work with a lot of pro skateboarders right now. And it's funny to see their approach as we start to bring the culture into, all right, you guys are athletes now. We're getting ready for the Olympics. Uh, we got to start using some of these transitioning modalities to get you where you need to be. Yeah, even if it's just pre-rehabilitation exercises, which most of them, that's what they're doing for the first year or two because they're a very different breed and they do a lot of very different things, you know, amongst other sports. So to me, it's more of an assessment tool. This actually leads into a question I had about the Titan Games, and I hope you don't mind if I jump. Um, Did you use these, like, so how did you prepare for that? Because, I mean, did did you, and what was the process? Did you know ahead of time some of the things that you may or may not be doing, or was it just you were preparing for kind of everything? Uh, so a lot of there's a there was a lot of smart business people amongst the the competitors that tried to sell programs and you know it great for them but truth is there was no you can't train for something that you didn't know what was hap- what you were doing you know we had no idea what we were doing until maybe an hour before we were actually going to do it and they would just show us and tell us the rules and say you could try it out for a rep or two but. All right, you know, you got to get hair and makeup. Here we go. And, you know, cause it, at the end of the day, it's, it's a production. fitness and yeah. it's production. It's, there's Hollywood side of things. Like, we had, if I had to get hair and makeup one more time, I was like, can I just compete? Like, put me on the mic. Let's just go. Like, I just want to, at this point, I just want to train. So there was no real training element involved. You just, you know, stay ready soon enough to get ready. You know, I'd been, in my mind, I had been preparing for this moment already. Like, it didn't matter what You're they threw at me. preparing for this for years. Yeah, this at, wasn't, yeah, at the end of the day, it just came down to strategically, okay, these are ginormous, like, out-of-this-world structures. Okay, what's, you know, how, especially in the first challenge, how is this platform moving? Okay, it's moving. So where's my balance? Where's my center of gravity need to be? You know, how much, what was the weight they said the cement bricks were? Okay, so by the end, I know how much leverage I have to have to make sure it moves efficiently. You know, because even in production, there were some challenges that they had issues with going into the week. And I made it a point to seek out some of the mechanical engineers, like, okay, so where was the issue on this? Just so I know if I have this challenge, like, because sometimes at the end of the day, strategy is just as important as your physical, you know, abilities. And the mental side of thing was very apparent on that show is, you know, we had a whole joke going, like, this is where the difference between the athletes and the non-athletes are separated. Or, you know, the Hollywood versus someone who's been in an arena before. Yeah. You, if you had the luxury right now of, a, of an athlete come, if, a, if an athlete, excuse me, if an athlete had the luxury of being able to go to you because they were training for something specific, mm. what is the process that you're taking them through? Mm. What is like you want to give an athlete? If, if Zach or I are coming into you and we're like, listen, we got to prepare for this, mm. what is the step one to you know mm. step one to step you know 100 that you're going to put us through to ensure that we have the best possible mm. opportunity to be successful? Yeah, so the. F- First and foremost thing is, what have you done? Where have you been? And where do you want to go? Uh, you know, I want to contribute to your environment. I don't want to contaminate it. So with that being said, to tie it back, is what have you been doing in the past that may have not, may or may have not mitigated where you wanted to go? So figuring that those tools first or those tools you had in your toolbox that maybe you've been comfortable with, you've been doing because, you know, you've just always known them. They've been a part of your life, whether it's, uh, well, I've always squatted this way or, you know, I don't do unilateral work. I don't do single leg, you know, Bulgarian split squats. I don't work on stability. What's a Turkish getup? Like I've heard those. Okay. So you start to piece together where there can be those specific demands that we need to start placing upon the athlete or the client to be able to get them to where they need to be. Because I've had a lot of athletes that they, again, just to reference, for example, some of the, my pro skateboarders, you know, Jen Soto is one of them. She, she, every time she landed on the skateboard, she would be so front foot dominant that her, it, I don't know how she landed without not tearing a new one or tearing in a, all ligaments in her ankles, tearing all the ligaments in her knees. Because every time she landed, she never landed on a whole foot. It was she never used, you know, her glutes. She, you know, her backside was completely you know, non-engaged. 
So that was the big thing for her was, okay, how do we get her to understand what a posterior chain is? How do we get her, without her knowing what a posterior chain is, to start understanding what a landing mechanic is? How do you land properly? properly? And they might not know it at the time, but all of a sudden, a couple of sessions in, a month in, they're like, oh, wait, I just realized when I'm doing, you know, I did this trick and I, I got so much higher. Or like when I'm, you know, my ankles don't hurt after a skating session. It's like... Uh, uh, now you can start to unpack to them the why behind the what even deeper as to and then they get the buy-in as well you know the buy-in and the trust is a big thing start to understand okay this is why we were doing what we were doing and that's kind of the big thing for me is when i'm taking someone is you want to create that trust and buy-in first and foremost so off the get-go is okay how do i start to implement the little things whether it's exercise whether it's sleep what are the what are the big priorities right now if they're not sleeping okay Let's focus on your sleep first. What do we need to get to get your sleep better? If they're not staying hydrated, which tends to be, even though it's kind of seems like common sense, a lot of people do not drink either enough water or not the right water or not the right electrolytes, and they're sweating the heat all day. Okay, that's the next priority. All right, nutrition. Where are they at? You know, where's their diet at? No, I'm not a you know medical doctor in nutrition and I'll never pretend to be. I also am very clear with, you know, athletes and clients say, hey, I've been diagnosed with eating disorder, so I'm never going to tell you how to eat. But I do have the people that will help yeah. you. Yeah. I'm very big on that for myself. Now, not everyone's like that, but I'm personally am like that. So I have them with a the nutritionist. Then I'll go into, okay, what I was alluding to for the exercise piece, which is where I'm going to be the big bangs for a buck and create the trust with them is assessment-wise, I keep it very simple. Show me five push-ups. Show me how you walk. I use a lot of dartfish on my phone. I love dartfish because I can. Sh- they can actually now see the angles. They it's can been see. Around. I love. I love, uh, it. I love it. We use it for golfers a lot. It yeah, awesome. the dartfish express is great. Yeah, it's like what ten, fifteen dollars a month, but the amount of trust you automatically gain with your athletes and information and data you get right right off the get-go of a first session uh, for them to now play with and for you to play with and start programming out for what they their needs are what their goals are is always worth it at the end of the day because when you see it's funny how when you people or athletes clients when they see themselves and they never have before and like oh I didn't know I did that. Right. I didn't know I did it like it's that. It's such a different story too when you when you have that data, and a lot of people don't get, have the ability to receive that. But when you're actually looking at your blood work or what's going on with your body hormonally, or you're looking at some type of a movement assessment or, or dartfish, when you're actually able and what that is, it's pretty much um, it's it's still that overlapping image, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can actually show, you know, um, through a, a screening whether your body's tilting a certain direction mm-hmm. or shifting a certain direction, and then it's great because you can come back in weeks or months later, whatever it might be, and show that level of progress. Which, which a lot of us don't, don't do. When you have those quantifiable measures, whether you're you know, a, a type A person or type B person, I, I don't care. Like it's, I've always found it as an mm. advantage. I've always found yeah. it as something fun. And it's amazing out there how many people just throw balls in the air. And mm. I, I guess it's okay. I mean, listen, it's better than sitting on the couch. Yeah. The problem that I have is when people drop that word optimization and optimal. That's such a hot word nowadays. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you got to be optimized. I'm like, what is optimized? Yeah. It's like, Everyone has a different level of optimized. So you can't just say the human body needs to be optimized. That's kind of it's pretty vague. Uh, so with me, with assessments, I'm very clear to people that we're going to be together for quite a couple hours. So make sure you have these amount of hours blocked off. It's not going to be a what-hit wonder. You know, for me, I have that luxury right now where I don't have to just see someone for an hour. I'm, especially with my athletes, I'm with them for especially the first couple of times, three-plus hours where – I really, we're going to sit down and talk. We're going to do some assessments. We're going to really program this out. And, you know, you always want to program because what you measure, you can't improve. And you want data as well because, again, what you measure, you can't improve. But when you go in a session, this is for athletes and clients, you have the program written down. But I can't tell how many times I've gone into a session and that whole program has been completely different when I start working with them than what I had written down. Because they might come in and say, my girlfriend broke up with me, or my yeah, boyfriend broke sure, up with me, sure, or sure. I'm emotionally here. Like, I don't want to do sure, yeah. heavy, you know, 
lunches today. I want to, you know, can we just go for a walk? I mean, they wouldn't just go for a walk, but, yeah, you know, yeah. all no, right, that's it. out. But you always have something in place, though, and you, you go from there, and the week's going to change. I'm a big fan of, you know, very similar to the Charlie Francis mentality of the 75. You know, there is no such thing as going 80%. You know, you're either going all out or you're going, you're taking a day off. You're doing a low stimulus day. So I'm a, a big, you know, on the horse, so to speak, with that. But there is forever changing because this is sure. science and research and everything's always changing. How often is hit? Because what I get reached, I get reached out to daily. You know, I want to burn fat. I want to optimize fat burning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I want to do HIIT training. And I'm like, well, it's not that simple. Like, you're not going to do HIIT training every day. Or are you? Can you talk to us about this? A yeah, uh, you're not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> number right. one. Thank you. Uh, because there is... A very high stimulus within HIIT training. So if you're actually doing HIIT training, there is a high CNS or your central nervous system is going to be taxed. So if your goal is fat loss and that is your goal, well, in simple terms, to have fat loss, you need to do work and you need to sweat. So it doesn't need to be HIIT training. HIIT training is a form of sweating and can aid fat loss. But if you're not even doing the basics of nutrition and sleep and water intake and, you know, cutting out certain things like alcohol, well, you could do all the HIIT training while you're still not going to get fat loss. So exercise-wise, HIIT training, two to three times max. All the a rest, week. a week. A week, yeah. Yeah, a week. A week. When it comes to... And the HIIT training can be varied. You can increase the intervals, increase the work to rest. You can increase the rest, shorten the work, as long as you're maxing out in that work and you're really you're pushing the pushing the limits of your body. The rest of the time, if your goal is fat loss, you just need to sweat. You just need to do work. You need to make sure your body is is pushing cal- you know, caloric expenditure. That's as simple as what fat loss is. Now, if you have a goal beyond fat loss, and it is now I want to have, you know, build a certain level of muscle to where I can go on a stage, a bodybuilding stage, now that's a different methodology. But if your goal is just fat loss, which we know from, you know, Gabrielle is that people are not, you know, over fat, they're under muscled is, you know, HIIT training is going to aid in that. And resistance training can be a factor as well within fat loss. But at the end of the day, to lose fat into, I don't even know what optimized fat is, but to start releasing adipose tissue, or you need to just put in work, you need to sweat. Now that could be some some resistance trainings added in two three times a week. You're doing hit, and maybe another day or two you're just doing straight conditioning. You're just for thirty to forty five minutes. I just I'm gonna put a lot of movement in. and I'm just gonna sweat, and that's kind of where circuit training got really popular in the boot camp classes. Is they're just trying to make you sweat, which. Yeah, for most people, they're going to lose fat. Yeah, but the problem with a lot of those classes is it becomes somewhat of an entertainment effect, and the music's oh, yeah. on, and, and the heat's up, and the work-to-rest ratios get so out of whack that it's, you know, it, it just becomes about how tired, or that they're trying to beat someone down, but not at the yeah. point where they're putting in max effort. It's just, it almost turns into, a lot of these classes turn into like a steady-state workout. Oh, they're you, all steady-state. Yeah, because There's not you, one that's not steady-state. And thank, you, and thank, you, and thank <laughs> you for saying that, because if you went to a Barry's boot camp or you went into a Rumble, and you see people boxing, and mm-hmm. you see them turning around, and they're trying to sell it as hit training, if you measure their heart rate, their mar- heart rate is probably in somewhat of a, what I would, I, I would never like using the word prescribe, I'm not a doctor, but would assign as a, steady state range of 120 to maybe 150 i mean right yeah. in that and range if you line it with the numbers of what is steady state you know cardio yeah. what bodybuilders do that 45 minute fasted in the morning it's like the typical yeah. you know that is steady state that heart rate is what they're looking for to get their cardio in that steady state and most classes again it's my biggest pet peeve is okay we need to and again a lot of times it's just a lack of not even education, just competence of and asking the right questions and doing the continuing education. You don't have to agree to understand and apply the differences. Problem is when money's involved and marketing's involved and, you know, it's working. So we're getting people to the door. Let's not change it. It's it. I come from the opinion as well, then you're playing the short game, not the long game. And I'm trying to play the long game. And I get and, and, and I totally respect that. And I get getting them through the door because the argument that I'm faced with a lot as well, you're getting them off the couch. And I hate exercise and I would never do anything but this class. And I said, I, I get that. I understand that. But don't sell something that is false. Mm-hmm. You know, don't turn around and say that you're doing a high intensity class or it's this or or say that you have an educated coach. 
he or she is is just cheerleading. That's so, that's all this really. So what would become. be the the like the real marketing campaign then? So so take away the the inexperienced coach or whatever. But like what would be truth it, in advertising? It's, it's not sexy, but but probably feel great, sweat, community. Um, which are all good things. Body fat. These are all good things. Yeah, which is not all time. Because that's what some people actually just want, and I think that. I, I get where those you, are not I, sexy words that I said. No, no, no. Do you want to be social? Yeah, I think that, that, that. Yeah, I think that that's a lot of people really do that. They don't want to train by themselves. They want to train in a group. They feel like supported. And again, I think that that you're right though. That when they're not going to see the changes or they're not going to get the effect that they want, then it becomes you know it, it, it's a skewed because you're not getting what you pay for. But yeah. all the things you said, like that's that, that, those aren't bad if that's what you want. Yeah. If that's what you want. I mean, that's like when I see the sexy videos of the strength and conditioning coaches doing speed ladders for NFL athletes. and They're doing them incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only that, but a speed, when you're doing a speed ladder, it's not for speed. There's a speed that's the biggest joke in, in all of our industry is that speed ladders increase speed. There's nothing, I don't know what you think a speed ladder is doing, but it's not speed. If anything, coordination. But Yeah, agility. I would say more agility. than. Yeah, you're not going to increase speed, because especially if, true speed workout you're going full out for five maybe ten seconds and you're taking a good minute break if you're doing true 100 percent speed training and to just do oh they look really cool but that's not speed training you're not making that athlete better in speed you're not teaching anyone speed are they just teaching them to pick up their feet maybe i don't know like like what is then what is the benefit of it yeah i mean but it's movement it's just the the, the benefit at the end of the day is is, it's it's all movement you're getting people moving you're getting people to break a sweat. You might be getting them into an environment that they really enjoy. I just meant an athlete, and like there an, is, like an athlete on the speed ladder. Like I'm I just trying to think of people up. I think personally, you can I, make someone slower. I think there's no. It's the stupidest and the biggest joke, uh, in my opinion, in in strength conditioning is speed ladders because it makes zero sense. And I'm, you know, am I to unpack that a little further? The, you know, NFL athlete. They're pretty skilled already. They made it to the NFL. I'm pretty sure they don't need, you know, coordination. They're getting paid big dollars. Now, say they're a five-year-old, and they're just learning how to move their feet around an object. Well, maybe, you know, we're doing that, but it's not speed. We're just teaching them coordination at this point and a little bit yeah, of foot. I, I would almost rather get, like, once once you start getting a deconditioned person moving around, if you wanted to throw that in their warm-up, as kind of like part of their dynamic warm up, or, or, or get them learning how to move laterally, or or, or, the, or the visualization, mind to body connection, and connecting with taking different steps and doing things that are out of their comfort zone. That I'm that I'm really cool with. But what a lot of people don't don't look at, which she's I know you'll agree with me on this, is that just because you're training someone doesn't mean they're going to improve. Mm-hmm. You can put someone under a training stimulus and if they are an athlete, I'll, I'll drop this guy's name. I met this guy, Tim Burke. Mm-hmm. He was the Remax long drive champion, like whatever it was, however many years ago. And um, I'm a golfer, so I was talking to him about golf numbers. And just to put things into perspective, Dustin Johnson probably uh, hits a golf ball by 186 miles per mm-hmm. hour. Yeah. All right, and his swing speed is probably 123, 124, yeah. 127 miles per hour in the 120s. And he's one of the longest guys on tour. Yeah. I turned to Tim. I said, Tim, what are your numbers? He said, 227 ball speed. So we just went from Dustin Johnson to the PGA Tour at 185, yeah. 186 yeah. to 227. Yeah. What's your swing speed? Now, I just mentioned in the 120s. He said 154. Yeah. 154. Okay, he's driving the golf ball 450 yards. Yeah. All right, and I, and I said, well, what do you, the guy's six foot five. He was a collegiate pitcher for the University of Miami, probably through the ball mid-90s, right? Yep. And I said, what do you do for weight training? And at the time, he was like, nothing really. Yeah. And, for, and for a second, I, I thought to myself, it was the first thing out of my, uh, Charlie Weingroff and I were talking about, we're like, mm-hmm. wow, someone could really screw this guy up. Like, oh, if yeah. you give him the wrong stimulus, thinking that, oh, by deadlifting him heavy or throwing med balls or cleaning is going to improve and make him, you know, hit the ball 230 miles an hour, you're wrong, because it can actually work in the opposite direction. Yeah. So what, what would speed ladders, so how did that connect them? Well, I'm just discussing more about how... Just, just don't screw, just don't it, screw you somebody. Could, okay. you, you could screw, you could screw a high-level athlete. you got to be, you know, general pop, different story. A high-level athlete, you can really mess up. Okay, so you're saying don't introduce it if they don't even... If they don't need it, don't even bother with it. Well, yeah, I mean, a great book to read that kind of goes yeah. with that concept is uh, by Dave Espin, who wrote The Sports Gene. He has the book Range Out now, and he goes very very nicely into the research as well about late versus 
early specialization in athletes and general clientele. And he goes into the whole story of Tiger Woods versus Roger Federer and how Tiger Woods was an early specializer. Like, he was in golf since the day he was born, where Roger Federer played multiple sports, like saying, you know, your friend, your he was played football, right. baseball. You know, he, which is why when you have that amount of variety and you're you specialize late in your sport, you tend to have the ability to not only adapt to certain stimuluses, but also one stimulus can really mess you up. If you are like a Tiger Woods, he's the exception almost. In he's a way. the exception, and but looking at yeah. his body and how it broke down, that might have been a contributor exactly to it, because know? he was an early specializer right. and he never did anything else. So you gave right. him. Say you give Tiger Woods deadlifts, and again, early specialized, he's been only doing golf his whole life. You might really screw him up because he's right. never done anything other than that stimulus of golf. You want to close out, dude? No, uh, no, please take it. Oh, <laughs> I don't know where we are. I forgot how many episode number one thousand. Yeah, we don't. Let's just make up episode numbers every time and confuse uh, yeah. people. Yeah, all right. Episode seventy-eight. Episode. We'll it, yeah. Perfect. We don't remember the episode. Yeah, we'll call it 78. 78 is perfect because yeah. I have 78 lung capacity. There it is. Perfect. See? <laughs> episode <laughs> 78. Your VO2 max? Yeah, lung capacity. Oh, I thought you said I was like, holy shit. Like, uh, that's be, crazy. Uh, that's like the off the charts. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's like insane. That's awesome. Um, no, listen, it was really, really cool. Like, I, I honestly did get lost in a lot of what we were saying in like a good way. Like, just like, just kind of hanging on what you were saying. Um, but yeah, I, I hope we can do this again. That was Because uh, it was awesome, man. And want to thank Kara for coming by. Obviously, want to thank Don, who even shaved and looks terrific today. Haircut too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hashtag that. model. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no. yeah. So we're on Spotify, on iTunes, um, our Muscle and Fitness YouTube page. You can email us at reps, reps at, at muscleandfitness.com. <laughs> he is at Don Saladino <laughs> on Instagram. I'm at Zraz on Instagram. And uh, come back and watch us again. 